Welcome to this presentation from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located in the greater Los Angeles area at 9820 Lakewood Boulevard in Downey, California. We would love to have you worship with us any Saturday you are in our area. know we've been talking about unsung heroes here in this series and you know I don't know if you realize how many heroes that you have in your life okay I just stop and think about it a minute there's Batman Spider-Man who else Superman the Flash the Hulk Captain America Iron Man, Spider-Man, Wonder Woman, right? And we could go on and on and on, right? The Avengers, X-Men, the list is long. I mean, right now in theaters, there's a superhero movie. What's it about? Who's it about? The Blue Beetle, right? It seems like there's always some superhero movie out there. And it's not just superheroes in our movies, right? Maybe it's our sports stars, right? Jordan, Magic, Bird, Kobe, <laughs> Messi, Gretzky. You know, if you took away the number of goals that Gretzky scored and just counted his assist, he'd still be the number one scorer in hockey. Truly the great one. Hank Aaron, Babe Ruth. Right? We have lots of heroes. We could go on and on. And we have entertainers, our um, actors, actresses, um, musicians. We got a whole walk of fame in Hollywood full of their names. We're a few um, weeks out from September 11th. And we remember our first responders that gave so unselfishly of their lives that day to help others. We call our first responders, our police and our firemen, heroes. And of course, there's so many stories coming out of our military. Just so many great stories about the men who did great things and saved their unit or their, their platoon they were in or did, did some amazing thing. You guys probably remember the movie from 2016, Hacksaw Ridge, right? Desmond Doss who like many young men after the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, joined the military, wanted to do something to help his country. But he was a Seventh-day Adventist Christian and he didn't want to kill people. He wanted to be a medic. And the military doesn't deal well with you coming in and telling them what you want to do. They're kind of a top-down organization. And so he got bullied and harassed until one day, after being wounded by shrapnel and shot through the arm by a sniper, he saved 75 men. And my favorite line of that movie is afterwards when he's talking to his commander and his commander says, I have to apologize. I didn't recognize you. I didn't see the greatness that was in you. 
I didn't know that you had that in you. And the truth be told, many of us would like to be a hero. I don't know about you ladies, but us guys, we, you know, we want to be heroes. We like to think of ourselves as being the person that when, you know, it gets tough, we'll stand up, we'll make the difference, we'll be the person that does that, we'll be the hero. And we'd like to do that. And the question is, do we have that stuff in us? And I hope that ultimately we desire to be a hero for God. And so what do we have to do to do that? Do we have to get bit by a radioactive spider? Or exposed to gamma rays or whatever? Turned all these people into heroes? I don't think so. You know, the Bible talks a lot about how we're supposed to do that, and we couldn't begin to cover it all today, but we are going to talk about some stories. I want you to open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 23, and we're just going to hang out there for a little bit, but while you're turning there, um, I want to, <laughs> a little bit of a backstory. Um, some years ago, and this is probably 20 or 30 years ago now, this is going back a little bit. They did a study, and they talked to 2,000 American 8th grade students and asked them who did they admire in their lives? Who might they want to grow up to emulate and be like? And so they gave them a bunch of names. And they gave them names like, and this is going to tell you how old this is, Burt Reynolds, (laughs) Richard Pryor, Steve Martin, and John Belushi. And when they commented on that, the columnist Sidney J. Harris lamented that every one of the 30 names that they gathered from those 2,000 students was either an entertainer or an athlete. And they were people who had made it big, but had not necessarily done big things. There were no statesmen, there were no astronauts, there were no authors, there were no scientists on the lists. And so that does raise the question, what does it take to be a mighty man or woman for God? How should we act? And so we're going to be looking at some here. We got a little backstory before we talk about this. And Pastor last week gave us the perfect lead-in for this. So I hope you caught last week's message. Um, Back in Samuel 1, remember Saul is king? Okay. And God kind of departs from Saul and says, no more, I'm going to pick a new king. He sends Samuel down to the house of Jesse, and he goes through all the sons that are tall, dark, and handsome. And God says, nope, that's not the one. And finally, they go get the youngest one, who's a shepherd out in the fields. Shepherd was the most despised job in all of Israel. It was the lowest of the low. And God said, yep, that's the one. So Samuel anoints David to be king. And then later, Saul is having issues sleeping, and the unnamed servant to Saul suggests David to come in and play music for him. Saul doesn't know David's been already anointed to be king. And David starts playing for Saul. And David starts fighting for Saul. David kills Goliath. David's in Saul's army. He begins leading some of the men. 
And coming back from one of the battles, the women are singing, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed tens of thousands. Saul's really not altogether that happy about that. And he begins to try to actively kill David. And so David runs off. And I put this one verse, stay in 2 Samuel, but there's one verse here from 1 Samuel chapter 22. And this describes David and what they did. When David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam, when his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. And all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. Doesn't that sound like a great group of people? The people who are in distress or in debt or discontented. Can you imagine if you're a farmer and you've got a little patch of land there next to the cave and you're just trying to get by, you got a little bit of land, growing some food, got a few animals, and all of a sudden there's 400 discontented, in debt, distressed people living next to you. What are you thinking? There goes the neighborhood. Gonna have to move now. Right? Now, I, it says 400 men. I'm going to guess there was some number of women with them. Right? Because, you know, men don't like to do all the stuff at camp that needs to be done. There were probably animals. They probably had some animals that they could ride. They probably had some animals for food and egg, chickens and eggs. and Right? This is, this is not just, you know, a few people. Right? Now, would you describe people who are in distress, in debt, or discontented as heroes? No, me neither. But these are the people we're going to read about in 2 Samuel. Okay? Because what made these men mighty was the character they gained and the lives that they lived and the decisions they made while they were with David. Now, if you remember from reading this part of, of the Bible, David had some uh, kind of a structure of men. He had the three that were very famous. There was the 30 that were famous. And then he had this 400. And the three and the 30 were part of the 400. But these people rose to some amount of fame in the day, and we're still talking about them today. All right? So let's get going into 2 Samuel, and let's look at the first decision. The first decision that they learned to do was, I will do what's right even when the odds are stacked against me. I'm like the teacher that gives you the answers before we talk about it. You like that? So here's the answer. This is what they learned to do. I will do what's right even when the odds are stacked against me. Let's look at, sec, at um, 2 Samuel 23, verse 8. Everybody there? It says, These are the names of David's mighty warriors. Joshabed Bathsheba Heth, a Tachimanite, was the chief of the three. He raised his spear against 800 men who he killed in one encounter. Who is this guy? 
This is like Rambo, the Gladiator, and Braveheart all wrapped together in one. Can you imagine 800 people against one? And you lose? Do you ever wonder what somebody thought when they were in the last 100? 700 people have gone up against him and died. And you're one of the 100 left. And you're thinking, yeah, we got him now. I'd be like, no, man, I'm out of here. Right? This is not meant to be today. Can you imagine surviving this and having to go back and tell your king or your commander, you know that 800 men you had? No more. What happened to him? This one dude, man. No thanks. I wouldn't have to tell the king that. Right? I, man, we got overrun. There was 10,000 of them. We fought valiantly, but we just couldn't do it. Right? One guy takes out 800 men. I mean, that's even more than you see in the cheesy kung fu movies where they fight everybody. Right? That's crazy. That's crazy. Okay? Now, have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a place where you knew the right thing to do, but to do it might mean that you don't survive? And maybe that's not physically. Maybe you're worried about getting canceled. Or you're worried about losing some friends. Or you're losing, worried about somebody making fun of you. But I think of people like Nelson Mandela, who spent 27 years in prison fighting for a democratic South Africa. Or Martin Luther King, who gave his life in pursuit of a dream that would be judged by our character and not the color of our skin. And retreat is just another word for runaway, right? You're a... Uh, Monty Python fan, you'll get that. We just run away, run away. We don't retreat. But retreating is something, you know, you've got to do carefully. Because retreating doesn't mean you want to run away forever. Retreating means you pull back and you regroup and you get back into the fight, right? It's a tactical decision to pull back, to, to regroup, to rest, and then back, you don't just retreat, 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 retreat away. Okay? And there are times when retreating is maybe the best thing to do. I, you know, if there was 700 people that died in front of you, maybe if you're the last 100, retreating is a good idea. But how does that work in today's society? Maybe you're the employee that sees what's happening in the business, in the backroom deals, and under the table. And you don't want anything to do with it. Maybe you're the spouse that realizes that the other member of this arrangement thinks that the relationship is dead, but you're not going to give up. No retreat. Maybe it's the teen that refuses to go with the flow of the crowd because he doesn't like where that flow is headed. And he risked losing his friends and being ridiculed to stand his ground. So I want you to write these words next to that right there. No retreat. 
no retreat. These people had a mindset of no retreat. There's a, a sense of oughtness, the way things ought to be. Things ought to be this way. And they don't retreat. And if I can be honest, our, our generation has lost that a little bit. Right? We don't have a lot of people that like to stand up. We're just like, oh, well, you know, you do your thing, I'll do mine, and, you know, try and... No retreat. Decision number two. I will not give up even when none stand with me. I will not give up even when none stand with me. Second Samuel 23, verses 9 and 10. Next to him was Eliezer, the son of Dodiah, the Ahoite. As one of the three mighty warriors, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at Paz Dominique for battle. Then the Israelites retreated, but Eliezer stood his ground and struck down the Philistines until his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. The troops returned to Eliezer, but only to strip the dead. So here's the story, right? David takes his 400 men, and they're out there, and the Philistines are over there, his arch enemy. And by the way, this is the same place where David killed Goliath. So some number of years he's back in the same place, and the Philistines are still there. And I can imagine David giving his best speech right? Men, we've got this. We can take them. But the men look over there and they start counting and they're like, there's more of them than there are us. And they begin to retreat. And David looks down this way and there's nobody. And David looks down this way and there's one person, Eliezer. So David and Eliezer begin to fight. And apparently it was a long fight. It lasted a long time. Because when they got done, Eliezer couldn't let go of his sword. Did you ever do this thing when you were kids? You know, you take your fingers and put them in your hand and squeeze, squeeze real tight. Hold it for like about three minutes. And then you take your fingers out and you can't open your hand. And it, it takes a minute for your hand to relax before you can open it. And that's what happened to Eliezer. See kids trying it. Wow. Right? He held on to that sword so tight. All day, you know, his muscles are just locked, tense, as he battled the Philistines all day long. And the Lord brought about a great victory. And when did the troops return? when it was time to strip the dead. Were they any help at all during the fight? No. No. But there's something about one plus one that equals more than two in these kind of situations. And David and Eliezer were only two. But God said, two is all I need. Right? I mean, we can look through history and see the number of times that God didn't need a whole army. 
he reduced Gideon's army from 32,000 to 300 to strike down the biggest army that had ever been assembled on the planet at that time. That army was so big, you couldn't count the camels of the infantry. And the infantry is the smallest, I mean the cavalry, and the cavalry is the smallest part of the army. That army was huge. 300. Moses lowered his hands and the waters collapsed on the Egyptian army which was the world power of the time. So God doesn't need 10,000 men. Two's enough. Who do you have around you that's going to help you stand when times get tough and they're willing to fight all day long? Next to this one, I want you to write, no reserve. First group had no retreat in them, this group has no reserve. They left everything on the field. The third decision is I will stand in the gap for those who are around me. I will stand in the gap for those around me. Same chapter, verses 11 and 12. And this is my favorite story of the three. Next to him was Shema, son of Agi the Herite. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them, but Shema took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought about a great victory. How many of you like lentils? See, if it was between life and death in a field of lentils, you can have the lentils for all I'm concerned. They're yours. But Shema knew that those lentils were probably key to the survival of that little village or town that was there. Right? They don't have Ralph's where you just run down and buy something. They've got to grow all their food for the summer and the winter. And lentils store really well and help you make it through the winter. And without that field, the village is in danger of not surviving the winter, not having enough food to eat. And Shema is in the field. Maybe he's working in the field. I don't know. And he looks up and he sees the Philistines gathering there. And I can imagine Shema starting to get ready. They had a way of tying up their cloak kind of around them, and I don't know how they did it, but they would tie up their cloak so that it was kind of more like short, so they could move better. I can imagine him doing that, tucking his hair into his headpiece, picking up his, his, his shield and putting it on his arm, taking out his sword, all the while, he's staring at those Philistines gathering. And he's standing in the middle of the field, and the Philistines at the other side got to be looking at him like, dude, it's one guy. We got it. It's one guy. Maybe they had heard the story of the other guy that killed 800 of them, and they were leery. I don't know. Maybe they thought it was a trap, and there was people laying down in the field that were going to jump up when they got out there. 
but they take a while to attack. I can imagine Shema just standing there. Come on, come get some. And finally they attack, and Shema begins to fight. And he defends the field and struck the Philistines down. That means he killed them all. And the Lord brought about a great victory. Besides this one, I want you to write no regret. No regret. What are the things that you can do in your everyday life that would bring no regret? Right? Maybe you see a car broken down on the road. You stop to help. That can be risky. Maybe there's a widow that lives down the street that could use a little help with the yard work. Maybe it's reading a book to your son. Maybe it's seeing the boy down the street that doesn't have a father and saying, I'm not going to let him do life alone. Maybe it's seeing your neighbor's kid making the same horrible mistakes that you made. You're saying, I'm not going to let him go down that path. Been there. That's the stuff heroes are made of. This is what I know. No good performed for the sake of others is forgotten by God. No good performed for the sake of others is forgotten by God. And I think we have the opportunity to live a life that has no reserve, no regret, and no retreat. Right? Jesus shows up a thousand years after David. And Jesus is called the Son of God. He's also called the Son of David a thousand years later. And David had a ragtag band of, of men who started out as bumbling, discontented, in-debt, distressed people and became known as heroes and mighty men. And Jesus started out with a ragtag group of 12 They couldn't get out of their own way. And they changed the world. Jesus is still calling people today. Every distressed, every in debt, every person that is discontented, Jesus can call you to a life of no reserve, no regret, and no retreat. Something to reflect on. Are you willing to take a stand on some moral issues even if it costs you something? That's tough. Your challenge this week is make a decision about what issues are important enough for you to die on that hill. Right? What issues are that important for you? You can't make that decision in the moment. You've got to make that decision beforehand of that's the hill I'm willing to die on. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for the things You are doing in our lives, Lord. 
Help us to be the kind of people that live a life of no reserve, no regret, no retreat. Lord, we're the kind of people that are willing to make a stand when others are not and make a difference in somebody's life. And we may never get fame and fortune and purple hearts and military honors and whatever. Lord, that's not why we do it. We do it because it's the right thing to do. It's the thing that You are asking us to do. To show some love and mercy and kindness to the people around us. Be with us this week, Lord. Help us to be the kind of heroes You would have us be. In Jesus' name, Amen.